He has a song with a line that goes, you're simply the best, better than all the rest, better than anyone, anyone I've ever met. That's my testimony today about Jesus. He's simply the best, better than all the rest, because he saved my soul and made me his own. Welcome to Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs, Senior Pastor of the Dynamic First Baptist Church of College Hill in Tampa, Florida. Find directions and service times at fbcch.org. Stay with us as Dr. Burroughs shares God's Word with clarity and conviction. And now, with today's message, here's Dr. Evan Burroughs. Scholars uh, generally regard the book of Hebrews to be second in importance only to the letter of Paul to the Romans in the New Testament. And those of us that are familiar with Romans know that Romans is the Christian's doctrine or theology book. Prior to Romans, there there was no theology for this new movement that Jesus had started. This thing that had been first called the way, the people of the way. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And those Christians uh, were referred to as the people of the way. And then in Antioch, they were then called Christ ones, which was not a compliment. Uh, we, We walk around with a badge of honor. I'm a Christian. But when they were first called Christians at Antioch, it was not... To, to build them up. It was actually a pejorative. It was to put them down. It was to say that, we, oh, excuse me, you belong to that Christian man, that Christ, the one you call Messiah. And so that's what had happened here. No other book so eloquently defines Christ as the high priest of Christianity. He's superior to the priesthood and the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This book presents Christ as the author and the perfecter of our faith. The title Hebrews or to the Hebrews that appears in the earliest known copy of this epistle is not a part of the original manuscript. And so that was added because of who the audience was. In this book, there is no salutation. We know that Paul, in most of his writings, in all of his writings, in fact, gives a salutation at the beginning. He greets them. This one has no greeting. It simply begins with the assertion that Jesus, the Son of God, has appeared, paid for our sins, and is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. So I want to walk you through some of the, 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 the characteristics of the book of Hebrews before we get to the meat of the matter so that we understand what we're looking at when we look at the book of Hebrews. First of all, the authorship. The authorship of the book of Hebrews is disputed. It's disputed. When I was growing up, I always thought it was Paul. Somehow, I guess maybe my pastor would say it was Paul. or I just assumed it was the apostle Paul. Church tradition teaches that Paul authored Hebrews, and until the 1800s, that issue had been closed. It was settled. However, a vast majority of Christian scholars and laity alike believe that Paul wrote the book. There are some clues that it may not have been Paul. Some say, well, if it wasn't Paul, then then, then who did write it? Well, there's an array of possibilities. There's an array of possibilities. Of possibilities. Some think it might have been Luke. Uh, um, that, tra- that maybe it was a, a, a sermon by Paul, but it was transcribed by Luke. 
Some say that it was Barnabas that maybe wrote the Hebrews since he was a Levite and would have been speaking on a subject that he knew much about, which was what the Old Testament law. Martin Luther, not King Jr., the German priest, Martin Luther, suggested that it could have been Apollos. Remember Apollos in, in Corinthians? Since he would have had the education, the writer of this letter had to have had. It's, 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 a, it's a deep and complicated, in some ways, letter. And if you read through it, you'll see that there's, that there's a sophistication in the writing of the book of Hebrews. So some think it might have been Apollos. Some say Priscilla and Clement of Rome by other scholars. So you can see it's all over the map because unlike Paul's epistles where he states right out, you know, Paul the apostle. In this one, it doesn't say that, which again gives us a clue that it may not have been Paul. Because why would he deviate from what was normal? Now again, it's possible that he may have done it or it may have just been left out. You know, those of us of a certain age, we know we, we get up, go to the fridge, open the door, close it, go back to where we were, sit down. So Paul could have forgotten to do it. So that's a possibility. But we don't know. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews specifically is. The second characteristic is, is, is when was it written? What was the date of the writing of the book of Hebrews? Somewhere around 65 A.D. I mentioned just a moment ago the early church father, Clement of Rome. And in his writings, he quotes from the book of Hebrews, which he was writing in A.D. 95. 95 A.D. As he writes this, and as you know, um, it it begins to go up now. The, The numbers, you know, are going up. And so 65 A.D., is believed that when it was written, one of those markers is that Clement, when he wrote in 95, referenced the book of Hebrews. Another reference point was that Jerusalem was conquered in 70 AD and the temple was destroyed. Now, for them, that was 9-11. That was Pearl Harbor. We don't forget those things. They, they become significant markers in the life of a nation. And so many scholars say that it's peculiar that neither of those, that, that it's those, that that incident is not mentioned when this writer is writing. Because he talks about persecution. He talks about hardship. But he doesn't mention this, 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 he doesn't mention 9-11. And so, again, this is all suggestive. It's not uh, uh, dispositive. It, it's, it's suggestive that this book was written prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And so we come, up, we come around that, that time because um, the church was still young. And that's why he talks about them growing in, in their faith and becoming mature. And so many believe as that if it is 65, it's somewhere around 35 years after the crucifixion. Are, are you with me? And so we don't know who wrote it. But we have a sense that it was written somewhere around 65 A.D. And then who was he writing to? Who is the audience? Who are are we writing to? First of all, Christians in the Roman Empire is one set of the people. 
Because we know that Rome had conquered and this location is mentioned in the book. And then there were also Christians who were under persecution. And in Hebrews 12, 4, he mentioned this, that they had suffered but not to the point of death. So there was great persecution that was taking place among the audience to whom the book of Hebrews was written. So part of the writing was to encourage them, to remind them that persecution will come. There are Christians today in the world that are still being persecuted in nations around the world. So they would find great comfort in the reading of the book of Hebrews. These were formerly Jewish in orientation. They were now converted to Christianity. Think about this. Some of you here today came perhaps from a different faith before you accepted Christ. When I say a different faith, I'm talking about something outside of the realm of Christianity. And so it was like that. It was like you, you, you left where you were, joined up this new thing, and now you're being persecuted. I'm sure that in your moments of weakness, you sit to yourself and say, wait a minute now. Did I, well, what did I do? Did I jump out of the frying pan into the fire? Wait a minute now. Is it worth it? Maybe I ought to go back to what I know because what I know wasn't as bad as what I now have. It's kind of like the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. That's why men have said, Moses, we want to go back. Let's go back to Egypt because in Egypt, at least we had the leeks and the garlics and we didn't have all of this sand. And they had to be reminded that what God had called them to was better than what they left. Even if in the immediate it seemed that it was hard and difficult, where they were was better than where they came from. So that was, that was the audience. The, the, the audience that's reading this now are people that are under persecution for the most part and are being challenged to hold on to their faith. Let's walk you through that. There are some of you that, that are not being persecuted in the same sense, but there is a battle, a spiritual battle going on in your heart and life right now, and you're, you're on the edge. You, 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 you want something. There have been days you wanted to throw it all down to say, God, you know what? I'm done with this Christianity thing. I thought it would be X and I'm finding out it's Y. I thought my life would take this course and it's taking another course. You know what? Maybe, maybe it's not all. Maybe you were sold a bill of goods. My wife and I just yesterday were talking about people that have walked away from the faith. We were just saying how, how, how people were so on fire, burning. And then something happened. Maybe life circumstance. They drifted away from God. You know, one of the things that I found in, in, in ministry is that people leave churches and leave God for so many reasons. Things that you would never even think about. And I've been one, probably the only one in the whole world, to judge people that walk away. Not fully understanding why. Sometimes we think they just don't like the church anymore or whatever. But sometimes I, I find that more people walk away not because they lose or, or, or anybody did them anything, but life happens. Life happens. And all of a sudden they find themselves being distanced from God and the things 
of God. So let's, let's hasten on here. But then there's also the style. And this one is really quick that it's a letter. It's an epistle. We mentioned earlier it has no opening salutation, which was typical of Paul's writings. There are five warnings in this book, chapters 2, 3, 5, 10, and 12. I'll say it again. I know you missed it. 2, 3, 5, 10, and 12. And, there, and there, there, there's a question that's asked there, or a statement, therefore. All of those warnings begin with a therefore. And so what's better? And what do we do about it? What's better and what do we do about it? The final characteristics is its central theme. What, what is the theme of Hebrews? Simply put, it is the preeminence of Christ. It is the preeminence of Christ. Paul even addresses this in the book of Colossians in a big way. But, but the central theme of this is that Christ is better. Christ is supreme. Christ stands up above everyone else and everything else. Jesus is better. And so the book of Hebrews addresses three separate groups. Number one, believers in Christ. Unbelievers who had knowledge of and an intellectual acceptance of the facts of Christ. So you you have those who, who believe. Those who were unbelievers. And then thirdly, unbelievers who were attracted to Christ but who rejected him. Unbelievers who had knowledge of and an intellectual acceptance of the facts. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus lived. Yeah, okay, yeah, we know, we know that. Then unbelievers who were attracted to him, they came, they came close. But when they got close, they say, uh, I don't know if we want to make the commitment. And those are the primary audiences. And, and this is important. I want you to, to track with me. This is important. Because often, you've heard me say before, we make declarations of what Christians ought to do without first understanding to whom it was written and what the context is. And we have the potential to misapply scripture when we don't know who it's addressed to. If I assume that it's all addressed to me in every circumstance, I am apt to misapply the scripture. As we walk through this over the next several weeks, some of this will become apparent to us, but we need to be careful to understand which group is being addressed in which passage. Many of the early Jewish believers were slipping back, as I said, into the rites and rituals of Judaism, Judaism to, to escape the mounting persecution. This letter is an exhortation for those persecuted believers to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews continually makes mention of the superiority of Christ in both his person and his work. In the writings of the Old Testament, we understand the rituals and ceremonies of Judaism symbolically pointed to the coming of the Messiah. Much of it pointed to Jesus. In other words, the rites of Judaism were but shadows of things to come. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 reads this way. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Why? These are a shadow of the things that were to come. 
This is, this is critical for the believer to understand because there are some parts of Christianity, some parts of Christianity that are still holding on tightly to the Old Testament system. And they have quite a, quite a, 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 a cogent theology that they have knit together. But here Paul says, do not let anyone hold you hostage to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are what? But a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So whatever was there in the Old Testament, he says, was what? But to show us. Paul calls it a schoolmaster that led us to Christ. That taught us about Christ. And when Jesus came, he came, Bible says, not to abolish, but to what? Fulfill the law. And so now it is now fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ under a dispensation that we call grace. So Hebrews tells us that Christ Jesus is better than anything mere religion has to offer. All the pomp and circumstance of religion pales in comparison to the ministry and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is the superiority of our Lord Jesus then that remains the theme of this eloquent epistle. So let's transition. Because over the next several weeks, each of the preachers is going to talk on this topic called better than. And I want to touch on each of those, like there's seven of them. And so I have about five minutes to deal with seven. Five minutes apiece. Many of us have been challenged over the years to strive to be the best at whatever we do. From the time we're little. As children, we're told to strive for A's in our schoolwork. In sports, we're told that winners never quit and quitters never win. In his book, Deep and Wide, Pastor Andy Stanley tells the story of uh, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, that had come upon a, a conundrum in their business when they were trying to become bigger and better at selling chicken. But they were having competition from a company called... Uh, Okay, so it escapes me now, but it, it, the company ended up becoming Boston Market. But they had a meeting with their strategic team to plan how they were going to get bigger. And the meeting went on for a good while. Associates back and forth, and they're debating, and Truett is sitting at the head of the table, quiet. And finally, after a while, he slapped his hand on the table, and obviously everybody looks to the CEO. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, in order for us to succeed at this business, we need to get, we, we need to be better. He said, because if we're better, our customers will demand we get bigger. So rather than concentrating on being bigger, let's just concentrate on being better. There are companies and businesses and churches and organizations all over the world today that do what? They try to instill in their companies and their corporations, their organizations, what? The Chick-fil-A way. 
And you know, when it comes to fast food, there's no fast food chain like Chick-fil-A. They figured out how to be better. They figured out how to get the best out of their employees, how to get the best out of the, the or to offer the best customer experience. They concentrated on what? Being better. St. Jerome, and I didn't know this until this weekend. I, I've quoted this since I was in ministry, and I never even went to check who said it. But I've been repeating this, especially when I was doing youth work. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good be better and your better best. St. Jerome said that. And I believe that it's still true today because sometimes we, we settle for the good over the best. The book of Hebrews highlights seven ways in which Jesus is better. In which Jesus is better. And so let's head toward the finish line today. Number one, Jesus is better than angels. Hebrews 1 through 2. He, Jesus is better than angels, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Remember, man was created a little lower than the angels, but crowned with glory and honor. Jesus was given a more excellent name than the angels. In other words, he was more, had more status and more authority. In verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. See, the angels were the angels, but the son is the son. Made up my will the other day, and uh, ain't none of y'all name in it. But Henry's name in it, Andrew's name is in it. No, Reverend, your name ain't in it. <laughs> what, 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 what is my point? My, my point, Jesus says, listen, even, uh, the, the scripture, even the angels do not have the status of the son. He says that he, he crowned us with glory and made us just a little lower than the angels, but Jesus supersedes the angels. Not only is he better than angels, he's better than Moses. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house is greater honor than the house itself. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't it amazing? You can build the most palatial house you want to build, but you are of greater value than your house. You're more honorable than the one who built the house. He may have been a wonderful craftsman and did a great work. On, on the, oh, he did a great work on the house. The house looks good. But more honor ought to be given to the builder than to the house. And Moses in this instance is considered the one that built the house. Or the house. And Jesus was the builder. Jesus is to be given more honor than the house. Moses is revered in the life of the Hebrews. But Jesus has more honor Sadly, many Jews today still do not accept this fact that Jesus has more honor than Moses. Because to do so would be to accept him as Messiah. So he has more honor. But he's a better high priest also. Verse 14 through 16, Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God... Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. I love that part. 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you for listening to Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. God is using Gaining Ground to reach thousands for Christ and to strengthen the walk of believers just like you. Your prayers and financial support keep the ministry strong. Contact us today at 813-248-6600. That's 813-248-6600. Or click the Donate button at fbcch.org slash gaining ground. That's fbcch.org slash gaining ground. Join us next time for another edition of Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. Until then, may God bless you, keep you, and may you continue gaining ground in your walk with Him.